But what we're embarking on with our podcast, Don't Give a 50, um, is to create a place for women like us um, who can tell their stories and also just feel like, you know, being a middle-aged woman is not necessarily a time for being invisible or being uninteresting or disappearing as such. I don't see my husband ever standing in the mirror going, oh, look at me, you know, look at this and look at that and cellulite and fat stomach and blah, blah, blah. I don't do that so much now, but I used to. They don't do that. They don't look at themselves like that, but we do. And it's so um, destructive, like it's so counterproductive to all this great work that you're doing, your mental health and exercise and, your, you know, your discipline and your self-care and those sorts of things. So we need to stop that in its tracks. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have two special souls, the beautiful Mel Salmon and Trish Gordon. These two superstars have just launched their very own podcast called Don't Give a 50. This is a podcast for midlife women looking for a weekly hangout with two regular 50 issues who aren't prepared to put on the handbrake just yet. Remember, 50 is the youth of old age. So let's cut the crap, be who we are, and enjoy the ride together. Well, I can assure you, you're going to enjoy today's ride. We do touch on some rather serious transitional moments through our lives as we are in our 50s, and we certainly look at life as mothers, partners, and of course, what this pandemic has been doing to so many people and and how they've managed themselves so gorgeously through it. I know you're going to enjoy what they've got to say, and I know you're going to absolutely love their new podcast. So please take your time to find them and look in the show notes and all the links to find their brand new show. You know, it's really bold and brave to create a podcast. And even though there's a plethora of them on the wave, on the, you know, the radio waves these days, I think it's really cool when you find two people that you can connect with. So for those of you that are nearing 50 or in your 50s or have even gone through your 50s, I can promise you you're in for a weekly laugh or two. Make sure you place your comments and feedback in the show notes. Uh, You can also go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash podcast. Or you can head on over to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28, or my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training. And I look forward to sharing with you some good laughs and insights in this weekly show. And I can promise you, we so appreciate your feedback and your five-star ratings. It really does help get the word out there. And on my behalf, to make sure that people know the power and the meaning behind the potency and the absolute gift of self-love. Take care and enjoy this week's show. Well, as you can hear, I am incredibly excited, very humbled and very privileged to introduce to you two very special souls. I happen to have met them and known them for quite some time, and it is an absolute delight to welcome to the Self Love Podcast, beautiful Melinda Salmon and Trish Gordon. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Hi, Kim. We're excited to be here. Hello, Kim, and good morning. It's great to be here, sweetheart. 
Oh, well, you know, considering we've had a few technical issues behind us, it is absolutely wonderful that we actually made it here. But I just, you know, for the listener that's that's here on the show that loves listening to the Self-Love Podcast, they're already on a quest of knowing how important it is to love ourselves, to be the example. But you two are beautiful examples of what it means to truly, if we don't love ourselves, certainly know how to love our friends and family and certainly know how to love one another, our girlfriends club. Could you both give us, just briefly, starting with either of you, a little background as to who you are, just so that the listener can get an idea of why you've created your beautiful podcast and why you are such good friends? Well, Mel and I have known each other for, I think, over 35 years. And um, during that time, we've always been great friends. There have been parts of our uh, times during our life where we have not been in each other's lives as um, as much. Um, and that's purely because we were in different countries or different states or just also different stages of our lives, you know, and um, but we've had mutual friends that have always kept us um, kept us close and in contact. And I think you know, which is quite normal when your kids are little and older and whatnot. You kind of gravitate or move in different circles because you know a lot of that time revolves around them. Um, so we are both at a stage of our lives where you know we're obviously in our fifties. Um, thus, our new podcast, Don't Give Fifty. And we were looking for a new place or, you know, a new project, et cetera. Mel actually came up with um, the idea of doing a podcast, so I'll let her tell that side of the story. But what we're embarking on with our podcast, Don't Give a 50, um, is to create a place for women like us Um who can tell their stories and also just feel like, you know, being a middle-aged woman is not necessarily a time for being invisible or being uninteresting or disappearing as such. You know, I think that a lot of us, when we get to that midlife place, we tend to feel those things and, you know, Mel and I wanted to really challenge that stereotype and debunk that myth that midlife women um, are irrelevant because, you know, we have so much to offer, so much life experience, wisdom, and, you know, we still have time to recreate ourselves, reinvent ourselves, and that's what we really want to encourage women to do with the podcast that we're doing I know for me it is I feel so much better if I've had a chat to a friend, if I've got something going on or even if I don't have anything going on, it's always just so nice to speak to someone about what's going on, whether it be celebrating a success or whether you've got going through something a little bit hard. You know, it's much better shared Um And I think that's what I really want to do with the podcast is just give that, give people a feeling like they've had a chat with a friend. So I know whenever I've had a chat with a friend, albeit in person or on the phone, I feel a little bit lighter. I feel my cup's a bit fuller and I just feel a bit more, yeah, I've got this. I'm okay. Life's 
you know, life's there for living. So let's let's do what we can and um, go for it. I um I agree, Trish. And um, for me, Kim, our podcast "Don't Give a 50 is an extension of our friendship in the sense that um, Trish and I have a great belief in the power of connections with other women and the lightness that you do feel sharing um, not necessarily a problem but also a triumph, um, sharing experiences, um, asking for advice, for wisdom from your girlfriends. There is an enormous sense of lightness once you've had that conversation with your girlfriends. So the podcast is an extension of our friendship, um, you know, at a conversational level. But also we want to, you know, have guests like yourself um, on who can share and impart their wisdom on all the range of things that affect us as women, particularly in midlife, because it's a fascinating, fascinating time in our lives. And something that brought me to the to the point of reaching out to Trish and saying, do you want to do this, is... Um, I didn't really realise until last year how much I had connected my identity with my family and in particular my children. And because they were going to boarding school in New Zealand and I physically could not um, see them, um, it completely derailed me um, in in the pure sense of the word. I was an absolute mess um, of anxiety and I, I actually didn't realise that and I felt completely redundant. So, well, not completely redundant, but certainly partially redundant and I wasn't prepared for it because it was very sudden, the, the cut-off from them. And that made me realise that that was dangerous waters that I was inhabiting at that point and um, I needed to repurpose myself. So that was one of many reasons why I reached out to Trish and we wanted to create this podcast because I know that um, that sort of derailment and that lack of preparedness for the, for the transition to empty nest is, um, is not only felt by me, it's felt by many women at this stage. I couldn't agree more with you both. And I think you've raised some really pertinent points here, ladies. And that is when we get to this stage in our lives, in our 50s, I just want to go back to both of you. Um, and I'll ask you independently. But when you look back, you're both mothers of teenagers, which is an interesting time in our lives anyway. And I can say this to you hand on heart. Now that you have a podcast, just let me say this. You'll have plenty of content plenty. Um, but the most beautiful thing about it is watching these young adults become um, identities of, them, of their own. But you raise that really good point, both of you, about that pulling away, about who are we without being a mum? Who are we without not having our children to be fully responsible for? Trish, how have you managed that, that transitional period? How have you handled, because you're more out in the country as well, could you talk to us a little bit about how you've gone through this transitional time with your 13-year-old boy and 16-year-old girl? Yeah, Kim, I, I actually think I am smack bang in the middle of this transitional time, to tell you the truth, because, you know, with I have... And, you know, Mel talks about your identity as a mum and I totally resonate with that. So, you know, I grew up on the Sunshine Coast and at that time the Sunshine Coast was a small town. So you felt very connected and um, 
you know, you a strong sense of belonging, even being in that community. And then um, with my career, I moved from the coast and I went to Newcastle. Now, when I arrived in Newcastle, I knew no one. Um, I was arriving to work at a radio station. I had met the station manager, but knew no one. So, you know, from someone who'd been very connected all of their life and felt very a strong sense of belonging, I was thrown into an area where, you know, I didn't have that and had to establish that. And then from there to Melbourne and then um, once again in radio and then transferred up to Brisbane and um, that's where I met my husband. And he um, lived out in Gatton. So, you know, being a coast girl who then worked in the city and then moved to a farm was quite a transition in itself. So then I, when I actually, um, we wanted to have a family and that wasn't happening very easily. So commuting to Brisbane and working in a stressful position probably wasn't helping that situation. So we made the decision that I would move out to the farm and we'd concentrate on having a family. So then, you know, having the family, that all happened. But, you know, it's that whole, you talk about identity, you know, and feeling belonging. So, you know, I was at the Sunshine Coast and I felt connected to the community and in my career and whatnot, a sense of belonging. And then, you know, with my radio career, I felt, you know, a sense of belonging because I, you know, had that career and that was who I was. And then all of a sudden I was then married and out on the farm and, and, you know, it was kind of that, okay, well, who am I now and what am I doing? And then I was so ready to become a mum because, you know, I was 30 when I got married. I had my first child at 34 and second at 37. So a lot of my friends had already had children by then. Um, So, you know, I, I was kind of ready and to wholeheartedly give my entire self to that role as nurturer and I have absolutely 100% loved it and I'm so grateful for it. Um, Some of the longest days of your life, ladies, but as a whole it goes so quickly and we all say that, you know, or you hear that and you've heard that all through their lives, oh, it goes so quickly, but, you know, you kind of think, oh, yeah, but then all of a sudden they're teenagers and, it's so true. It goes so quickly. So my daughter um, is in grade 11 and she went to boarding school a couple of years ago or, yeah, sorry, last year in grade 10. And I found that transition, my husband and I and my daughter found it a lot harder than any of us expected Um you know, just to have that piece of your heart. I mean, I can feel it in my chest now. Um, that's, you know, that you've had and you've nurtured and you were there every minute to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're in someone else's hands. I mean, you're still there and you've just got to trust that you've done enough and all the right things and you've given them the tools and the wisdom and the confidence to go out into that world. Um, but I was really surprised at, you know, and, and you know, unlike Mel, whose children were overseas, mine were only an hour away. So, you know, it, it's it, 
sounds quite dramatic for me, but, you know, it's such a huge transition. And um, my son has just been accepted to boarding school. My daughter went in grade 10. The plan was for him to go in grade 10, but he is so enthusiastic for it and just really wanting to go. So only just yesterday, my husband and I made the decision to send him earlier, to send him next year. So just this week alone, I've had this huge reflection on my life and hoping that I've spent every moment of them that I could giving them the tools and nurturing them and giving them the confidence and strength that they need to go on because ultimately now they're at a phase of their life where they need other mentors. You know, they say it takes a village, but I think when they get into those teenage years, they're looking for other mentors and, you know, they you just want them to be able to surround themselves with, you know, peers and other people who are really positive and strong influences. So now I've really felt that. I'm so grateful that Mel and I have the podcast project because I am possibly where Mel was last year where you think, you know, my role has been a mother, a nurturer, the provider, um, and now it's like, well, that's not, I mean, I'm always going to be that person. You know, you always need your mother and, you know, they are always a, a huge part of your life. But those hands-on hours are so much less and it kind of, it almost makes your heart ache a little bit because you're mourning that time and those precious hours that you had knowing that they're going to be, I guess, a lot fewer. And, um, yeah, so I totally resonate with that. It's kind of like, okay, what now? And, you know, it's t- and we feel so... Well, I I know that, you know, at times you feel tired, but most of the times you feel energetic. And I think with the information and, you know, the ability to see what is possible in this world and life, it's like, okay, well, now my nurturing role, I'm still connected with that, but now I have this opportunity and time to kind of reinvent or not even reinvent, but just reignite passions and and what I want to do. So it's kind of, Mm. it's intriguing, but it's also very kind of exciting, but scary does that make yeah. sense Am yeah I totally <laughs> totally well look I think it's sorry important. for the waffle ladies I think what's important is that you're getting across the fact that no matter what there's transition times in parenthood every step of the way and I really appreciate what you're saying about discovering yourself at every level and I think I just want to say just imagine reaching out and giving you a hug because that decision for your boy to go as well is a massive one but I'm really curious too then at this age and stage Mel, how did you handle sending your kids overseas then? And then how have you transitioned through this whole COVID time when you haven't even been able to see them when you've wanted to? I didn't uh, transition very well. I fought tooth and nail for them not to go. But in the end, I realised that uh, for me to um, prevent them from going because they wanted to go, so um, that was it was their decision. and. Um, for me to prevent them from going was selfish and it was about me and not about them. So 
so I had to take the selfishness out of the situation and I had to look at at what they wanted to do. So um, just a very brief background, the reason why, because I know people are saying, why would you send your kids to New Zealand? So my husband, Mark, is a Kiwi. He was born and raised on a farm and he and all his siblings were all sent to boarding school in Auckland for their high school years. And um, our kids grew up with uh, multiple stories of the fun and the good times that he had. He thoroughly enjoyed boarding school every single, well, actually he hated the first year, but he was also very young here and then cried when he left at the end of year 12 because he had such an amazing experience. So they grew up with all these stories. They made the decision that they wanted to go. Um, I fought tooth and nail. You're both thriving here. You're at a great school. You've got great friends. This is such a great place to live. Why would you want to do that? They're both very connected to New Zealand. The families still have a farm over there. So we spent all of our um, holidays over there, you know, having various adventures with cousins and their aunties and uncles. So I did fight tooth and nail, I did resist it, but in the end I had to step back and say, well, then, you know, I cannot be selfish. I have to take what I want out of this and think about them first and what's best for them. So it was a a really, really difficult decision. But, Kim, the deal breaker for me was having Mark's brother and sister um, in Auckland so that we knew, um, for want of a better term, everyone, one, if the shit hit the fan, and no, at that point I wasn't thinking about a bloody pandemic. Um, they had, you know, um, close relatives who knew them very well that could get to them while, you know, until Mark and I could get there. So um, that was all going swimmingly in 2019. That was their first year. Um, we were over every second, third weekend for the holidays. It was all amazing. We were at all their sporting events. It was really brilliant commuting from Queensland over to Auckland. It was it was a hoot of a year. It was exhausting, but it was an awesome year. And then COVID hit, and that was um, hard to explain. It was the worst. You know, I, I just lived with a knot in my stomach for seven months, seven and a half months while I didn't see them. We didn't know when the borders were going to open again. Mandatory quarantine was a huge issue. Um, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on how to try and get a mandatory quarantine voucher for New Zealand. <laughs> it's an abs- it was just a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. So we were parenting via FaceTime. Um, we're at the mercy of um, the friends and the families of the friends that they made over there. You know, there were holidays where our son was couch surfing um, between families. Um, it was an absolute nightmare. And that was, I was just derailed, Kim, completely and utterly derailed. I didn't know what I was doing. I was treading water. But fascinatingly, when we eventually reunited at the end of the year, thanks to the one-way travel bubble provided by New South Wales at that time, and that's another whole story, how I actually got them home. It's ridiculous. I could write a book about that one as well. Um, I realised they came home and, you know, they had missed us, and they, but they were thriving. They were great. They had been living a great life over there. They were safe. Um, you know, they were doing well at school and, and they had great friends and and I was the one that was not living my best life. So all the worry, all the angst, all the anxiety was um, reducing me. It was crippling me, but it wasn't crippling them. 
And it made me feel completely redundant. And so moving forward, that's where I was looking to change something in my life. So I'm still very much their mother, you know, and their nurturer and their guide and their mentor, you know, um, one of their role models. I agree with Trish, as they get older, they need more and more extensive, you know, um, group of role models in their life and mentorship. But um, I'm still very much that person. But, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I've got a long way to go. and. I needed, you know, more projects. I wanted to be challenged and to do something creative and to do something fun um, and to do it with a girlfriend, someone that I knew very, very well. So that's where the podcast just ticks so many boxes. And actually, my kids are really impressed that, <laughs> that I'm doing this, which is um, just nice to have a 19 and a 17-year-old that think that it's actually quite cool what, what their mum's doing at the moment. But, yeah, tough year last year, Kim, tough. Yeah. yeah, I really respect you guys for this. And I think the whole point of a podcast is to bring together like-mindedness. I've always felt with your podcast, it's like sitting there with your girlfriends and you are literally a fly on the wall. You crack me up. Up. You remind me of all the craziness and all the, the full-onnicity, if that's a word, of what it is to be a parent and what it is to be a solo mum at times and all of those things. But let's let's move from the kids. I know how important they are to all of us and I know what they mean to us. But let's face it, you're all right that they are going to be okay. They are the ones that are about to live their new and best life. Trish, what does it mean to you to live your best life then? Kim, I, I honestly think that to live my best life, you know, I think that there is a sense of needing to be in line with who I am and what my values are, um, to be congruent with who I think I am. Um, and, and I think, you know, for me, kindness is such an important factor you know I know if I'm living with kindness to myself and others then that's a good life you know but also treating people with curiosity and not judgment I think is um important to me you know I think that you know just living with you know the love and support of my family and of my friends, for that I am so grateful. And I think to be the person to give that love and support to others is really me living my best life. I, I like, you know, when I talk of values and whatnot, I think being generous and loving is two that are very high on my list of priorities so I feel like if I'm living a life and I am providing those things for others and you know in turn you would hope to get that back and I do feel very lucky that I do feel love and kindness from a lot of people and very connected but to me that's kind of living my best life is to be to be in service and, yeah, giving love and kindness generously to others. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's such a powerful thing, particularly through challenging times when, let's face it, life isn't always a box of chocolates or a bed of roses. We know that there's challenging times. Um, Mel, would you say then part of loving yourself and part of taking care of yourself and living your best life, what are the most important things to you that you value then if, 
if our beautiful Trish is valuing generosity and love and kindness, what is it that's really important to you? Definitely those three things as well. They feature very highly um, and prominently in my life. But um, I think to be um, living my best life is also just to feel that uh, that, set of, that sense of satisfaction with, with what I'm doing um, day to day. If you get down to the, you know, the, the actual nitty gritty on the ground day to day, how are you feeling or how am I feeling my day? It's nice to feel a sense of satisfaction with what I accomplish every day. And it can be the smallest, smallest thing. It doesn't have to be really big things. But um, so definitely that. So the love and the kindness and the curiosity, as Trish said, very important. Um, just the, yeah, the feeling of um, satisfaction of what I'm doing every day. Definitely treating others how I want to be treated myself. That was one thing my mum instilled in us growing up and I believe in it. I live by it. It works for me. Um, and, yeah, I think um, then I would probably go um, go on to mes- mention, you know, self-discipline. So I find being a reasonably disciplined person also also works for me. It also helps me live my best life. I couldn't agree more with you around the discipline. And I think this is something we shared very beautifully with uh, your podcast, which was so much fun. But I want to ask you then, if, if this is really important to us, it's important to us to know our values, to then live our truth. Trish, I know that for you, you have, for both of you, health is really important. But can we get really clear and honest here about the different things that we all do to take care of ourselves? And can we be really frank about turning 50 sometimes doesn't mean things sit in the places that they used to or work in the way they used to? Trish, how have you managed aging and do you think you do it gracefully? Oh, Kim, I don't know if graceful is a word that I've ever used (laughs) <laughs> to define myself, I actually gave, um, and I, I, I must say, a, a very friendly, funny friend of mine, Penny, gave me this idea. But my daughter's middle name is Grace, Lily Grace Gordon, and the reason I gave her that name is I thought that that's possibly the only Grace I am ever going to give her. Um, so, gracefully aging. So, Kim, I have always been um, a I've struggled with my weight all my life. Um, And in saying that, um, you know, some may think that, you know, I'm not morbidly obese or anything like that. But being in, you know, a teenager in the 80s, um, you know, I was a victim of the yo-yo dieting, um, fad diets, et cetera. And, um, you know, for a lot of years that... I struggled with that and, you know, to a certain extent I still do and um, I will have times of my life where I am so disciplined and I'm, I'm really an all or nothing girl. I'm kind of 100% focused and so disciplined and doing so well or I just seem to fall off the rails completely and that has I kind of, you know, just before my 50s or just when I got into my 50s, I had been doing some work because I did did have some real issues with body image um, and my self-worth tied up to those body image issues. It was kind of like, you know, when I had put on a little bit of weight, the self-loathing seemed 
you know, kind of really not in proportion to the amount of weight that I put on, if that made sense. Um, So, you know, I I did a bit of work working through that and, and why that was the case. And, you know, through that discovered some interesting things about myself and kind of got to a place of more self-love and self-acceptance. But it was interesting because that love and self-acceptance then made me a little bit complacent with my exercise and health because I was kind of like, oh, you know what, I accept that I'm voluptuous and that's okay. So therefore I got a little bit more relaxed and potentially that combined with COVID, I was a little bit too relaxed. So then I think, you know, I wasn't eating as well and I wasn't moving as much as as I did. So, and then I started to put on weight and probably, you know, being midlife, we are susceptible to that as well. So then, you know, being at that place of kind of self-acceptance, kind of, yep, I'm fine who I am, I'm embracing the curves, this is all good. But then I got to a stage where, you know, everything was getting tight again, but not necessarily the size. It was more, I was lethargic and feeling not great. And I then, classic cliche, um, I got shingles earlier this year and that was a really nasty case. I thought it was just I'd been for a swim in the ocean. I thought I'd been stung by something, but within three days it had spread all around my torso and it was a really angry case of the shingles and then when I did some investigation on it you know the classic is oh you know shingles are highly susceptible for women to catch them in their 50s I'm like okay great I'm that person but that was really awful and really painful but what it made me do I could barely get out of bed for three weeks and I still have a bit of the nerve pain and it's you know eight two two and a half months later, but it made me sit still for a bit. And I think almost like COVID did last year, it made me sit still and really think about how I was looking after my health, what I was doing, what was important, what wasn't important, and also the thought processes in my mind. Um, And, you know, I mentioned on my podcast and um, that I'm very much, I go a little bit woo-woo, a little bit down the rabbit hole, but, you know, I pulled out my Louise Hay book on You Can Heal Your Life and I was thinking, you know, what what is my mental state and how is it contributing to the shingles? So although the shingles was really shitty and quite painful, in a way I'm grateful because what it's done is made me go, well, hang on, I don't want to be sick now and moving forward. My children are older I want to be healthy and vibrant and able to enjoy, God willing, grandchildren when they come. And when you're an older mum, you know, when you had children a little bit older, you've got to think about those things. So the shingles thing is shitty, but what it's done is maybe really clean up my act. Um, And for that, I'm feeling so much better. I'm eating such a more clean you know, real food diet and moving more. And for that, I'm feeling so much more vibrant. And, you know, I think that that, yeah, that was my journey thus far. And um, hopefully I, I always say that, you know, even when I do fall off the wagon at times, 
that I'll always keep trying, I'll always get back on. And, you know, this year the shingles, now I'm feeling much better. So, yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's pretty amazing when we get a physical ailment that just whacks us and certainly knocks us off our feet. But I think for busy women such as yourselves, sometimes if we're not listening to the little taps, we will get a big whack. And clearly, (laughs) clearly, I'm sorry you had to take one for the team, but you ended up with that. So Yeah, I got a huge whack, ladies. And, you know, it's, it's something to be very mindful of. And it came out of the blue. But in hindsight, it came at a time where I was really pushing myself and there was some mental stuff that I wasn't kind of, there was some conversations, you know, and some of it was about Wiley going to boarding school next year and, and you know, the, the what I was going to do from that point on. And, you know, the deeper you delve when something like that happens, because with shingles, people say, oh, you know, it's all to do with nerves, you know, are you, are you run down or, you know, is it, what are you, what are you nervous about or what are you worried about? And, you know, on the surface, everything was fine. And, but underneath, I think, well, what am I worried about? And, and a lot of it was to do with, you know, what my life moving forward looks like. You know, I live out on the farm. Um, I love the coast. My children, you know, are, both going to be at boarding school and you know we talk about boarding school and you know and some people I think think oh well what are you worried about your children at boarding school you're gonna have so much time it'll be so much easier but you know it, it's actually quite a sacrifice I think to send them away and that plays on your mind as well because you you know and it, it's almost too like when I go on holidays and, and we haven't, you know, if there's been a, a trip, a work trip or something and the kids haven't been there, every time there is some sort of meltdown because you're not where you feel that you should be. It's like, I don't know, some sort of weird mother's guilt or whatnot. So I think that's all tied into it as well. Mm. But, yeah, mm. it was really a whack on the head and it was the physical whack because I'd got very relaxed and a little bit, um, yeah, too, a little bit too relaxed. But it was also the delving into the mental, like, well, you know, your body's saying you're worried about something. What is it? Think Mm. about it, deal with it and have the conversations you need. And yeah, I did that and I'm feeling much better. Yeah. Good on you. And just want to say it's a massive thing to undertake. I remember many people I've known have got that. And I think that Louise Hay for the listener, you can hear your life is a really good one to tap into the emotional state and side of things. Mel, on the subject of aging, well, gracefully aging, as a mum of a beautiful 19 and 17-year-old, what would you say is the greatest advice or the greatest thing you can do as a woman, as a mum, as a partner, as a wife, uh, be to be that role model for your children? I have a phrase, role model, not supermodel. Uh, <laughs> you, you girls are both stunningly beautiful, but I'd say if you could actually, what would be the advice that you'd give other teenagers or mums that are having teenagers at the moment or coming through into their teen years, what would be the most important advice you could teach them in order for you both to gracefully age? You mean teach um, my daughter? Yes, and your son. I mean, we're role models for both of them, right? I, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Oh, get up and move every single day. Get up and move. So that, that has always worked for me. I've always been wired that way anyway, Kim. I can come from a sporty family. Um, we've all, we all get up and move in the morning. So 
I'm a morning person. I get out of bed. The kids now are, they, you know, they're asleep when I get up and and move and go ocean swimming or go to the gym or whatever it is that I do in the morning. But they also, you know, they will get up and they will exercise at some point. It's just often, you know, in the middle of the day because they sleep so much now, unlike when they were young kids. But um, I think I think just you know setting routines, leading by example. Um, they saw me work hard through uni. Um, they see my husband or their father work hard in business. Um, and they see me, I guess, looking after myself, um, you know, through exercise. And that's when I exercise and I'm not, I don't go mental with exercise. Um, I just believe in everything in moderation. I believe in balance. That works for me. Some people are more extreme with it. I'm not. I just like that balance and that moderation. But for me, it's addressing a number of key issues, Kim, and that is um, I exercise first and foremost, sorry, for my mental health. And I don't have poor mental health, but like all women, you know, I do struggle with anxiety at different times. And particularly last year, it was a terribly anxious year for me. My saving grace, apart from my girlfriends, um, was exercise and meeting someone to exercise. So that's the first thing that, um, you know, that I do. I, li- I love that, um, that rush of endorphins that you get at the end, at the end of a, a session of exercise. And as I said, and I want to be really careful, I'm not running marathons. You know, I might be doing 45-minute spin class at the gym. I might be going for a run walk. I might be doing an ocean swim. So I'm not, I'm not a super athlete or anything like that, despite the fact that I come from a, a sporty family. I'm not, I'm not super athletic, but I like to exercise. Mental health is, is definitely the first one to give me energy. So I'm modelling an energetic life to my children every day. You know, I'm not just sitting around doing nothing. I'm, I'm doing something all the time and that's how I prefer to live my life. That's me living my best life is doing something all the time. I sleep better and, and I just stay toned so I fit into my clothes. So I don't, I don't give 250s about being skinny, but I want to be energised. I want to fit into my clothes. That's my personal and it works for me. So I think in terms of ageing gracefully, my self-discipline has a lot to do with that. And then also, Kim, I mean, you know, I, I'm a fashion blogger as well. I, I'm right into that, into my own presentation. It's very, very important to me. It is connected closely with my identity. Um, I can see that now coming out um, in my daughter, how she dresses, how she presents herself. Now, that's not important to everybody. That's not important to all women, but it is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself and getting out into the day every single day. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I do find that it also clears our head, like you say. You feel better, you sleep better, all of those things. One of the greatest gifts or comments that my kids ever gave me was when I said to them, "Who are I've, I always recommend this, ask your kids who are adults that they particularly admire and look up to. And it's pretty exquisite who they say. And it can sometimes be quite surprising when you hear them talk about some of your friends or family or whatever. But it is a compliment when they say they've never seen someone you know, strive so hard, work so hard and aim for the stars. And I think that's something that I've really learned through my years of parenting is that if I can't do it for me, do it for my kids, show them the possibility, show them how to get through tough times, show them how to keep rising, show them how to keep positive. And as you mm-hmm. said, Trish, stay kind and all of those things. While I've still got you there, Marlene, if you, we've talked a little bit about this around the power of self-care and taking care. What would your definition of self-love be then? 
Oh, I've pondered this question, Kim, um, and I think actually I don't really think about self-love, to be honest with you. I think probably more on a day-to-day level I think about self-care, but I think self-care is part of self-love. Is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's powerful to say that. Then what's your definition of self-care? <laughs> um, I'm really having a big laugh here, Trish, because we're so quiet. Have you noticed? <laughs> Talking to Kim today, we're being so grown up and sensible. And we're normally not, are we, Kim? We're normally so revolting the way we speak. And absolutely, we swear the house down and we're being very grown up and very nice. I think it's I think it. I I think it's uh, the calming influence Kim has on us. <laughs> the calming influence. It's I think only, it's, yeah. Trish and I feed off each other, so we're always going at a 1,000 miles an hour, and that's why we talk over the top of each other all the time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And if you, if the listener could actually imagine the three of us in the room, I'm, we're being very restrained here. We would all be talking over each other. I know it. But I just what you've both got to offer is so important, and that's probably why I'm so particular about making sure you hear what you say because most 50-plus-year-old women are either coming into a phase when they're starting to think of who the hell are they again, and some people are even wondering what the hell self-love and self-care is because all they've done is given it to everybody else. So if you think self-care is such a big part of self-love, then how would you describe that to someone who's struggling with the concept of loving themselves? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I guess I can probably only relate it um, to things that work for me and and try and express that to them. Um, I suppose I've done it for girlfriends in the past. I've tried to just help them establish a routine where they at least can get outside and go for a walk. You know, I just believe in um, fresh air. I believe in the benefits of vitamin D. I believe in the, the, the potential for exercise just to clear your mind, even if it is just going for a walk. If you walk with a friend, then as Trish and I say, you know, a trouble shared is a trouble halved. So that's then also um, addressing, you know, mental health issues and things like that. So I think getting out to do some physical exercise is definitely part of self-care. And I would encourage someone to, if they're struggling with that, start by meeting a friend because you're less likely to cancel if you're actually meeting someone. If you know someone is getting up or making the effort to meet you at a particular time, you're less inclined to cancel. And then obviously we know the more that becomes a routine, it, um, the more likely it is that they, they're going to be able to create a habit out of that. Mm-hmm. So that would be the first thing I would suggest. And just that being a little bit kinder to yourself. Now, we are so bad at that. Um, I don't see my husband ever standing in the mirror going, oh, look at me, you know, look at this and look at that and cellulite and fat stomach and blah, blah, blah. I don't do that so much now, but I used to. They don't do that. They don't look at themselves like that, but we do. And it's so um, destructive. Like it's so counterproductive to all this great work that you're doing, your mental health and exercise and, your, you know, your discipline and your self-care and those sorts of things. So we need to stop that in its tracks. We really do. I just, I just have way more acceptance of how I look now. I, I just don't care about a flat stomach or being skinny. I really don't. Whatever it is, you know, I, I just, I'm far more accepting of that. So getting a bit of a routine, accepting the way you are, 
um, being a bit kinder to yourself, they would be some of the key things I would suggest to somebody who is struggling with self-care. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I, the thing I've taken most from what you've said, apart from the importance of moving our body and the discipline to do that, is that power in doing it with a friend. And I think that's what I love so much about the two of you. I had a, My sister said to me once, who needs psychotherapists when you have girlfriends? And I would say your show, your connection, your friendship is definitely one of the ways that we women absolutely release those fears, anxieties, worries, because there's nothing like a girlfriend to turn around and say, oh, you're being silly, you're amazing, or you, they give you a prop up or they have a bloody good laugh or a bottle of wine, whatever it takes. But Trish, yeah. your thoughts around self-love, is, is it the same as Mel? Do you struggle with the concept of it as well? Or what do you think? Um, well, I just I feel like I want to go out and have a walk now. Mel talking about exercise all the time. I'm like, oh, geez, I didn't get up and go for a walk this morning. I need to do that. Just making it sound so empowering and I feel a little bit guilty for not doing it, but I'm going to be kind to myself and I'll do it later. So self-love, I think, for me, is wholeheartedly accepting yourself, um, loving what is, treating yourself with compassion, curiosity and kindness. Now, I must be completely honest, I, I that's not all my wording. I've got um, Brene Brown, who is a brilliant, she has brilliant TED Talks and some brilliant books. She talks about loving wholeheartedly and and what that means. And, um, you know, it's it's very kind of hard to define, but she talks about, you know, living with complete vulnerability. So, to me, that kind of says self-love is is living with kindness, but also living with vulnerability, knowing that sometimes you're not going to show up as yourself and that's okay, you know. And um, Loving What Is is a title of a book that I read from um, Byron Katie who talks very much about, you know, asking yourself that, and it goes, ties into what Mel was saying, you know, about the things that, the unkind things we can say to ourselves at times. Byron Katie teaches us to ask, is that the absolute truth? Is that the absolute truth? And, and you know, if you ask yourself those questions when you're telling yourself those stories, Brene Brown calls it your shitty first draft when something happens, whether it be a drama or, or something about yourself you can just go into this whole tirade of um, a story that you tell yourself about what's happening. And then, you know, you look at that story and go, well, is that the actual truth? And a lot of the time it is absolutely not the truth. So for me, self-love is just being wholehearting, whole, <laughs> I can't even pronounce it, no surprise there, wholeheartedly accepting oneself, loving what is, being kind, compassionate and curious with yourself. Uh, you're amazing and I think it's so true. Are you both readers? Are you both people, like you've mentioned a number of books now, you clearly get a lot from those. Would they be key books that you'd recommend to someone to read then, Trish? Oh, I do love those books. And see, Kim, I think the reason too over the years that I have read so much, you know, I've, I have struggled with different anxieties and things over the years so but I think with the time out here on the farm and being a mum you know Mel will quite often 
well, talks about going for a walk with friends. There's been a lot of the time here where I'll just go out for a walk on my farm. So my friends are my audiobooks and podcasts that I play in my head while I'm doing that. So I think that, you know, in the place, if you're in a place, ladies, where you can't actually go for a walk with a friend um, like me sometimes, it's easier to just go for a walk on the farm than rather than have your own self-destructive thoughts at times in your head. It's great to listen to books, um, you know, and a lot of the books I listen to are ones that will, you know, help build good routines or good thought patterns. And I love Brene Brown. I love Byron Katie. Um, I love Kim Morrison's self-help book. That was wonderful as well. Um, but, yeah, I just I find it really good. But then also I'm such a big fan of audiobooks because I struggle with reading. Um, I It puts me to sleep and I find it hard to find the time. But I think that's a lot to do with how I operate as a person. But audiobooks I just find brilliant. And because if I drift off, with the fairies, I can just press rewind a little bit and get back on track. The other thing is I do a lot of driving being out here on the farm so I can also play them. But quite often I'll listen to, you know, empowering books, but then I also love to listen to just a good story and just escape into someone else's life for a while. I find that really, that's kind of a real treat for me, just that escapism, you know, whether it be you know, an audio book if possible or even just a, you know, a good good binge on Netflix or something. Mm, I love it. But Mel, if you, have you actually ever given it thought around the tough times that you've been through and the tough struggles and, you know, like you say, through family and work and all the different things that you've had to endure for the listener going through a tough time right now, what would be your advice or could you share with us a story or something you've been through and how you've picked yourself up to come out and through the other side of that challenge? Yes, I went and saw a psychologist. <laughs> I was just such a mess last year, Kim, um, crying all the time, not sleeping very well. Um, I tried meditating. That worked for a period of time, but then we had a big family tragedy in September of last year and then I couldn't stop my busy mind. Um, So in the end, I was bawling on the phone to my GP, um, sobbing, absolutely sobbing, could hardly speak. And that's that's not really... um, indicative of my character either like I'm not somebody that cries very easily so I was just a mess I was so beaten down um I was I had hit emotional burnout um my GP told me that and so she recommended that I go and see a psychologist and um that was a very very good piece of advice and that was a very 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 good decision to follow up and and do that um so I started seeing a psychologist and, yeah, she, she helped me break a lot of these things down. Some of the things resolved themselves anyway because the children did come back at the end of the year. The trans-Tasman bubble did open up for a little while, not very long. Of course, it's closed now. So some of the problems that I was facing resolved themselves, even temporarily. Um, but grief is something that she was helping me through as well and so um I I found her very very helpful so 
personally, that's that's what I did. And I agree with what Trish says as well. And that is just that pure, pure and utter acceptance. So my approach to um, everything that I went through last year was really, really different to my husband's approach to it. Okay. He just accepted the challenges of COVID and border closures. And I didn't. I was a fighter. So I was lobbying um, local, state and federal governments to look at reduced quarantine times for, you know, New Zealand arrivals, you know, sort of back in May of last year. You know, I, I just went into fight mode and I fought every step of the way. I was constantly e- emailing our premier. and <laughs> My gosh, I turned into a mad woman. And I'm sure all the girls thought, oh, my God, here she comes, here she comes. Get ready, get ready for her. But um, so some of the things did resolve themselves and other things, yeah, I think it was just accepting that I wasn't in a very good place. Um, I had the absolute support of my husband to go and see the psychologist. Not that I needed his support, but he just could see that I was not improving. And um, so I would just, yeah, I would be completely open to that because the girls, your girlfriends are always on your side. They're not always going to necessarily give you that objective perspective that you might need on some of the problems that you're facing because they were so on team Melinda right they were so empathetic and compassionate none of them were separated from their children and so to the same extent anyway that I was you know so um yeah and none of them had at that moment had faced you know the 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 terrible grief that I was facing so yeah a psychologist that was something that I would recommend to everybody be open and honest with yourself accept where you're at and if you're struggling and everything that you're putting in place so all the routine I impose on myself and impose is a bit negative that I I do it willingly because I like it because it works for me as I said in balance of course always in balance um that wasn't working I was still a mess and so yeah I sought professional help all the way. Great advice. Absolutely brilliant advice. Mm. Trish, in the moment, I I know we're we're coming to the close. I don't want this to end, but I'd love your thoughts. You're out on the farm. COVID has already done so many things to so many people. Your podcast, the two of you, is bringing some light, love and laughter to the world, and we just want to thank you openly and publicly for that. But what would be your advice to the person listening to this who really is struggling with this whole pandemic? How would you say that from an isolation and not feeling we can do and have the freedoms that we wanted or perhaps think we deserve? Yeah, Kim, that is a real um, tough one. And, you know, as I've said, I try to fill my head with um, good stuff. (laughs) It's very academic of me. But, you know, listening to podcasts that are going to lighten you, listening to books that might challenge your thought processes or give you another option. But also, as Mel said, I've also spent time um, with a psychologist and a psychiatrist working on different issues. And I think that if you need help, you know, it's okay to speak to someone, show your vulnerability. There is so much power in that. And that's what Mel and I do or want to do with the podcast is just be really honest and go, you know what, not everyone has their shit together all the time and that is okay and it gives everyone else a breathing space to go yeah that's okay 
But, you know, the whole thing I think with seeing a psychologist or someone professional, if, you know, the things that you normally do for your mental health, like exercise or reading or, you know, talking with friends and listening, if that's all not working, then definitely go and seek some help. You know, I I remember when I went the first time, I kind of sat down in the office and almost apologised for being there. Said, you know, I oh, look, you know, my life's pretty good and, you know, I'm happy most of the time and, you know, I probably shouldn't be taking up your time. And, you know, he was like, oh, my gosh, stop now. Everyone's burden is their burden. And, and you know, no problem, great or small, you know, if you are here, then whatever you need to say, there is a space for it and a reason for it and, and I'm here to hear it. But I heard a really interesting podcast when they were talking about getting help from a psychologist um, or psychiatrist is even if you don't feel like you have enough to talk about or to unload, they use the analogy of it's like people are backburning before the summer fires come. So it's you're getting prepared and unloading the stuff. So when the big flames or the big fire does come, it's less destructive. It's kind of giving yourself the tools you need to carry on before the big fire comes. So I just think that, you know, do all the things that make you feel good, exercise, nutrition, listening to podcasts, reading good books. If all of that isn't working and you're talking to friends, go and see someone professional because that's that's what they do. As the saying goes, paint is paint psychologists and psychiatrists are the ones there to help you with your mental health yes or can we say let's tune into don't give a 50 because you will get a few laughs on there <laughs> let's, let's hope so <laughs> ladies <laughs> that's what we're hoping for oh you're just delicious they might listen, they might listen to us today and go oh my gosh <laughs> no, we're no. so grown up today trish i'm we're so, so impressed today. we're so mature I know. I know. I feel like I need to do some sort of, I don't know, pull your pants down and <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Moon everybody. Luckily, we're yeah. on audio only, right? Um, I'm like the naughty little girl in the back of the class that's been sensible for a while and just yeah. needs a release. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you this: you are an absolute de- delight. I remember Cindy and I arriving at your house just recently, and I just want the listeners to know that Trish went to a lot of trouble to create a beautiful drink, having the amazing Cindy O'Meara turning up. <laughs> Um, she she organised this incredible turmeric latte. If there's one thing I can't stand is turmeric lattes, but I tried, didn't I? I tried. Oh, I tried to be God. polite. But let me just say that the the raw treats made up for the the <laughs> turmeric latte <laughs> and the laughs. Um, Tricia, can I just say to you as we come to a close? But if, if the self love listener, someone who's listening to us, we've had some incredible guests on here. We have a lot of people talk about you know their own story, their own moments of vulnerability and and I know both of you have been through some real lows and you've you've very much um I, I just hope the listener understands and can hear between the lines just how tough it's been for you both at times I'm sure they hear you and I'm sure they want to but if you could give one last message to the beautiful self-love listener what would that be that's a tough one that is a real tough one because there's so many good messages out there but I tell you what I've been doing at the moment and this has been so much fun. I love a good series on, um, you know, Netflix or Stan or whatever. And there's one at the moment on Apple TV 
that I just adore, which is Ted Lazo. And it's really light and it's really funny. And he, but he has so many little cracker lines of wisdom. And they're, honestly, I'm going to give you two. You know, I can't just do one. So one of his lines was, don't let the wisdom of old age be wasted on you. And then the other one is be curious, not judgmental. And I think that's both a great kind of thought-provoking way to look at life. I think it's a beautiful way to summarise everything that you're about to. And the fact that he's a bit of a cracker, I think it sort of epitomises you to a T. I really loved, I really have loved some of our conversations. And even though I haven't known you very well over the last while, I feel like you're one of those women that I think you meet and you feel like you've known for years. So I can only imagine what you two have with all these decades of knowing one another. But thank you so much. That is just such a powerful, beautiful thing. And I will let the listener know that those quotes are in the notes and that we can hear them again but I I really appreciate that and Mel Beautiful what would be your final parting words of wisdom and your favorite quote I'm going to go with two as well like Trish Um, and one is actually my husband's life mantra which I've um, attempted to uh, adopt I'm not as good at as he is but that is adapt and overcome So that's something that I repeated to myself constantly last year. And I often find myself repeating it to myself um, when I am struggling with something. So adapt and overcome. And the other one is that I think I mentioned it to you girls the other day when we were in the studio, um, that Coco Chanel quote. I am loving it. And that is when you're sad, apply more lipstick and attack. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I love the idea of attacking. <laughs> I know. Well, you are a fighter. We've heard that. Maybe a fighter, not a lover. Maybe a lover, not a fighter. But we know that you're both of these things. Do you know, I actually, actually hearing you say that adapt and overcome, I remember hearing a Navy SEAL speak and he actually, you may both remember this, he was in the Sydney Harbour helping do some sort of movement thing that was happening with some trading movement. And he was actually attacked by a shark in the yes. middle of the war. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And he lost um, partial yeah. limbs, didn't he? A That's right. Arm and, and partial leg, I think. Yes. And he yeah. was bitten. And they actually, they healed yeah. him by putting, and he showed the pictures, it was extraordinary. But he, they, he had part of his calf put into his hamstring to help make it out and he said it is the weirdest thing to actually scratch your hamstring but feel like it's your calf but anyway that's just a side point I thought you'd be interested to know but one of the things that I remember him saying I think he added a word in there and it's only just come to me adapt improvise and then overcome and I reckon well I just want to add that one in because sometimes we do have to improvise or make do with what we've got or create something new from what we've got in order to overcome it. And can I just say to you, um, Mel and Trish, watching you both adapt to your environment, improvise the hell out of everything, and then overcome (laughs) your greatest fears, which was, you know, it's bold. It's brave to launch a podcast. It's You're putting yourselves out there, aren't you? And then you get judged or commented or or graded and things like that. And I just want to high-five the heck out of both of you because I don't give a 50 anymore either, and I just think it's the best thing to share ourselves. And Good on you, Kim. I'm proud of you uh, for not giving a 50 about those things. It's funny what you say about being brave and bold because I don't think Trish and I actually realised how brave and bold it was until post-launch. We were just sort of 
running with it, weren't we, Trish? Like week to week, just all our Zoom calls and our phone calls and FaceTimes. We're just like, yeah, let's do this. You know, we've got so much to talk about. We feel we've got so much to give. We want to create this great community. And now that it's actually up and running, it's like, holy shit, that is brave. (laughs) We are bold. I love it. We have to do it every week. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? (laughs) Oh, I freaking love you both. I just think you're exquisite souls. You're amazing mums. You're such beautiful wives. You look incredible. I love following everything you're doing. Can I just say from hand on heart, from my heart to both of you, I love you dearly. You're beautiful role models. I actually think you're both supermodels as well. So I'm just going to throw that one in. And I just want to thank you both so, so much for being on the Self Love Podcast. Kim, it is such a pleasure. We adore you and um, loved every minute of our chat this morning. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, gorgeous Kim. Um, I am so grateful to be here and, um, yes, very, very fortunate. And we would very much like for you to contact us every morning and (laughs) give us a bit of Kim love before we start the day because it fills my cup up immensely. I'm literally, Trish, I want to sign up. I want to sign up and do <laughs> Kim gave us a beautiful Kim gave us a beautiful pep talk um, before we started recording, ladies. And let me tell you, if that is part oh. of the mentorship program, I am 100% signing up today. I am all in. I want more of that. Everyone yeah. needs a dose of Kim in the morning, Trish, to get going, don't you think? No, Absolutely. Trust me, trust me, my husband and kids might say otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my son saying one day, oh, if they could see you now. When I was losing my shizzle, it was like, yeah, if they could see you now. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies, I love you. Here's to the don't give a 50. Make sure you go over and subscribe to their show. It's a lot of fun. Give them some love. We all work our butts off to create some entertainment and we get so much out of hearing your comments and feedback. So please give these angels a five-star rating and let them know what you think of them. Big hugs, everybody. Take care. And again, Trish and Mel, I love you dearly. Take care, girls. Thanks, Kim. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.